you can do something that can make a real, real impact in the world in terms of the health of people. And that's something that we have a reason to wake up every day. So for me, the biggest, biggest portion of it has been being able to wake up every day, excited to get out of the bed and do your research. Hey, smart biotech scientists, welcome to another episode on the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast. Have you ever wondered if you should be using microcarriers in the 21st century? If you've asked this question, you are not alone. And I'm so excited because today I'm having a conversation with Paya Radfari, who is the co-founder and CEO of Smart MCs. It's a startup dedicated to creating microcarriers and smart biomaterials for large-scale cellular therapy, cellular agriculture, and vaccine production. For me, this was highly surprising because I have worked pretty much the entire career with suspension culture. And Bayer is explaining us why we should be considering microcarriers and more importantly, what is the benefit of those microcarriers. So stay tuned for an inspiring conversation. Are you juggling the complexities of CMC development while trying to enjoy the beauty of biotech? Have you ever wondered if there's a way to simplify bioprocessing? Welcome to the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast, where we're diving headfirst into the very challenges you face. We're breaking it down, demystifying the jargon, and giving you the keys to unlock your full potential. I'm your host, David Brohlman, and I get it. With 15 plus years in the biotech industry, I face the same challenges you do. There's a way to simplify and streamline so you can remove complexity, you can skip trials and errors, deliver without delay your groundbreaking therapy to clinics at market, and still enjoy every single step. Do you want to learn how industry experts and I did it? Grab a cup of coffee and your favorite notebook and pen. Now is the time to take your bioprocessing game to the next level. Let's smarten up biotech. Welcome, Payer, to the Smart Biotech Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on today. Hi, David. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, it's a pleasure. Share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know. I am a mechanical engineer who turned into an entrepreneur in the biotech space. And I guess the most thing that people probably don't know is my ADHD is something that has been, I guess, a tool in a way, in a many sense, and also helps me defocus a lot. So <laughs> that's one of the things. Tell us a bit more how you landed finally in biotech. Coming from a mechanical engineer into biotech is quite a journey, isn't it? Oh, indeed it is. My background is fluidic engineer, so mainly dealing with fluid handlings. And I've been doing it for now 10 years, roughly, on across different industries. So originally, after I was working for a few years in the mechanical engineering space, I got to kind of introduce for my PhD to biotech. And I was very curious to see how we can do across disciplinary research for a variety of biotech applications. That was the first kickstart. And then across so many different projects throughout the PhD and after that, I got involved in having either a lot of like stem cell related work or biomaterials that can be enhancing those. And I guess the biggest drive throughout the thing has been that 
Uh, you can do something that can make a real, real impact in the world in terms of the health of people. And that's something that you have a reason to wake up every day. So for me, the biggest, biggest portion of it has been being able to wake up every day, excited to get out of the bed and do your research. So now as a CEO of your company, what do you want to achieve? Let's assume I'm going to have the same conversation in five years from now. What needs to be happen within these five years? It's a difficult question because in five years' time, the startup pace is really, really high. So it's a roller coaster. Like last one, two years for me particularly has been much faster than any than my whole life, maybe in terms of number of events happening. So really, really, we're building blocks for being a, a multidisciplinary company that can service a lot of different aspects of bioprocessing all the way from the microcarriers, which is, I guess we'll jump into it more, and other biomaterials in this space, all the way to different gadgets for monitoring. So I think if I was to dream about five years from now, building that multidisciplinary company that we can service variety of products to meet the unmet demand in the sector is what drives me the most. Because unless these type of translations happen, you won't see a clinical integration. We really, really, I think, need to get more and more of these innovations to make the whole process much more simpler, but also more efficient. That's exciting. So before we dive into the specifics of the microcarriers, let's have a general discussion about the challenges we face or we see in bioprocessing. And one of them is to develop a process and then to bring it to the industrial scale. So now, Payar, from your perspective... What are the biggest challenges scientists and engineers face to bring a new process into the clinical production and then finally in the commercial production? There's so many aspects to this, and that's what makes it really, really complex, and that's where we are at today. But I think a few of the fundamental things, the first thing is these fields are not as backyard science. You really need a lot of infrastructure, and most of it at least it's initiated at university scale with government grants and then indirectly or as a fruit of the work in a few years' time turns out to be an industrial startup or solution. So this transition is not always smooth and fast. With, of course, more interest in, in entrepreneurship, you're seeing now a huge trend in academics who want to actually do entrepreneurship. I think this is expediting a bit, but still the backbone, the infrastructure is pretty difficult if you were to implement it. And the majority of the players in the sector, especially the ones that are at a commercial scale where they are cash positive, they're actually selling a product and making money out of it, are extremely huge. And producing or suggesting a new solution to them, it's not always easy. This will take time. There will be a need for them to switch. And it's harder to even meet with such high-level companies for new innovators to bring in their solutions. So I think that's one big part of it. And the other big part, I think it goes back to the regulatory limitations or obstacles where new companies that are having a therapeutic good or a solution, they find it hard to regulate your approval. The pathways are not yet that efficient. They're not clear. And a lot of like companies have to follow a first example in many senses, to avoid having to explain so many times to these regulatory bodies, and that itself will slow down the process or limit the creativity or types of things that we can get out. So one example, I think, which we saw that was really good was COVID vaccine, obviously, during the pandemic, which was there was a huge rush for it. And we saw it, it is possible to do it very fast. 
although there are risks, but probably you don't want to be at that extreme pace all the time. But I think we can do it a bit better framework. And that's what the governments, I think, should adopt for. Yeah, and speaking of process development scale up, we need also to talk about cost. And you, Pyre, you focus extensively on cellular um, therapies. And one of the main challenges is the high cost, which hinders, blocks this way to a more wider distribution. So what needs to happen in order to drive down those costs in cellular therapies? The whole process in the therapy level, the mindset is not around the cost at all. The idea is everybody is like, okay, if we sell the vaccine this much, 1.5x or two times the price, still people will buy it. I think the lack of competition and limited number of companies providing solutions is the key part there. Whereas in other sectors, there is limited barrier to the market or at least less. So you have more competitors and therefore there is more competition for actually getting a product to lower cost. And with the training bioprocessing and cellular therapy, particularly, I think with countries like China being developed and particularly focusing on like making a lot of CDMOs, that is going to be contributing towards easing this. But from the regulatory side, they take a really long time for them, for these companies to even get approvals. So if they're taking this long, then of course they will be charging top dollars. Beside the fact that there is an overkill of QC and those type of things that you need for each equipment, each particular pieces of this workflow makes it not really an easy thing to bring down the cost. But I'm sure it's a technology cycle. You've seen it over and over again in everywhere. It will bring down the cost. I'm even in the therapeutic case. I'm sure we, there's so many examples where cost of drugs have been dropping or simpler drugs have been developed. So I think cellular therapy is not going to be any different. Eventually with better technologies and more competition in those fields, we will see that drop. But it just might take longer than many other sectors. Let's focus now on more technical aspects. You, Pierre, you work extensively with adherent cell cultures. So tell us a bit more about the specifics of those cultures and explain why we need microcarriers today in the 21st century. That's the hardest always to explain. Adherence of culture, I mean, a lot of cells in our body, as you see, they're in a static condition sitting, whether it's your shoulder or other tissues, they're not moving around. So whenever we need those mammalian cells in adherent form, you need to provide them a surface that they can attach and grow on. And that's what really microcarriers are. They're really a support structure for cells to attach and grow on. But the problem is the traditional approach has been the plastic wear, where you have a plane of flask in the lab and you dump your cells on, they attach to it and grow, which is a 2D layer growing approach, which also does not mimic the body, but works to an extent. But when you want to actually scale this up, it's simply it's impossible to get large number of cells, billions or trillions of cells. And simply you're limited by the surface area and the volume these plastic waves will take. You might want to, like some old school vaccine production facilities that are doing small-scale production, you see them sometimes having like buildings of incubators kind of when you're using just cell factories on top of cell factories, which is not very efficient for the manpower to handle them or even like the cost of the plastic itself. So microcarriers can enable that scale-up inside bioreactors. You can pretty much dump the cells on the carriers once they attach to these carriers. There are little spherical particles. You can think of them as 150 micron little balls. And once cells attach to them, you can dump them in the bioreactor. Cells will start growing around these microcarriers, and you can get that growth in the number of the proliferation that you're after. 
And because the fact that you're growing them in 3D, there's few aspects to it, but the basic part is actually the surface area to volume ratio. So you can just use a massive giant tank bioreactor and grow these cells very efficiently. And there's more, a lot more research that are showing that you can actually beat a lot of cellular therapy products when you're using 3D culture because cells are happier inside the 3D environment. Now, it gets a bit more complex where you're talking about actually cells growing on the carriers or in the carriers, but that's a separate topic. But regardless, it's just a matter of scale. We want to scale up. And that's what microcarriers are about. So speaking of scale up, just out of curiosity, where do you see the limitations? Like what scale are we talking about? Hundreds of liters, thousands of liters, or? As to the sky, really, I think it's more about the other parts of the workflow. So it's not the microcarrier itself. First of all, the need. Do we need to really go that big? So there are new fields emerging now, like cultured meat, where you're talking about, yes, thousand liter is nothing for it. You are trying to feed the world. But in cellular therapy, I think, or MSCs, especially that you haven't had the approvals as much with FDA, that there's not like clinical approvals much out there. It's just limited in number and mainly they're in different stages of clinical trials. Your need is not that much. So I think the key part is the microcarrier can at least theoretically remove the barrier for that scale up problem. So thousand liters, yeah, should be fine. More than that, if needs. As long as the other technologies can cope with it, should be kind of a possibility. Now I'm wondering about one thing, Bayer, because most of my life I've worked with suspension cultures. So I did a lot of scale-up, but now how would the scale-up be different using adherent cell cultures? There are some major differences? Yeah, certainly. So by the industry itself, whenever possible, they try to train the cells to be growing in suspension. So they want to avoid use of microcarriers because of many problems. We can talk about it a bit later, but in particular, Adherent cells are more tricky to grow in suspension. Their nature is not bad. The agitation you have, how fast you steer them around, the shear force being applied on them based on the size of the carrier, based on many other factors, actually play a huge role. And that's why it's very important to take on a very careful examination on the scale-up process where you actually be able to go to start early in the sense that you don't start after you show that your product works. You don't then start scaling up, kind of start from day one working with carriers as one number thing. And then the other thing is that you can do is for this scale up to happen, you need to right, kind of optimize a lot of the parameters. So all of that is the key factor. here. Yeah, so smart biotech scientists start early. You will avoid a lot of problems down the road. And what I'm also hearing, Bayer, is that experiment and work with it and gain process knowledge as you're developing your process. It's not easy that you just go up by the leases number. It's not like you can just bump it up. With the scale, everything changes. And each technology that you're changing, each part of the workflow you're changing will play a role. And you want to have a really good grasp of the whole workflow process. So start early and do much, as much optimization due diligence as possible. Smart biotech scientists, I hope you've been enjoying our conversation on microcarriers and adherent cell cultures. Coming up next in part two, a few simple steps how you should go about when developing a robust adherent cell culture process. So stay tuned for part two, which will drop later this week. All right, smart scientists. That's all for today on the Smart Biotech Scientist podcast. 
Thank you for tuning in and joining us on your journey to bioprocess mastery. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. By doing so, we can empower more scientists like you. For additional bioprocessing tips, visit us at smartbiotechscientist.com. Stay tuned for more inspiring biotech insights in our next episode. Until then, let's continue to smarten up biotech.